Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus. I'd like to welcome those in our Dream Center experience. And we'd like to welcome all of those in our West Campus. We're so excited to have Grovetown um, in the mix. And I'll tell you what a great time we had last week. And I'm glad to see Grovetown has power because last week we lost power during the service. Power, only electrical power. We had the power of God and that was enough. But it was a great time. and just so honored to have uh, those folks uh, in our Grovetown campus. Today is a big day. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And this is one of those interesting times uh, of the year. The excitement for tonight's game has been building over the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting to me to see how people respond to that. You know, it's funny to watch people. They'll paint their faces. They'll wear the jerseys. They'll do all these crazy things just to show loyalty to their team. I mean, some of you are that way, and you don't even have a team in the mix, but you're all in for this. You know, there's something about football that captivates our attention. I mean, it creates community. It... uh, It fosters a lot of fun. It has a lot of drama in it. I mean, nothing is more dramatic than a game that is going down to the wire. I'll tell you, you're on the edge of your seat, and there's been several games like that uh, this year. And so tonight's a big deal. And we talk about the success of the two franchises. We talk about Los Angeles. We talk about Cincinnati. And we talk about their great success, but so often we don't talk about the fact that Cincinnati lost seven games this year. We don't talk about the fact that Los Angeles lost five games this year. You don't hear a lot about that. Uh, And what we see in this is that nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes along the way. And it tells us that you can be a champion even though you are not perfect. And that's really what I'll talk about today because none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes along the way. And today we're continuing our series that we started last week. It's a vision series that says everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. Like I said earlier, we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we're not proud of. We struggle. We struggle with anger. We struggle with issues. We struggle with it all. And I think one thing that uh, we have to really watch ourselves, it is easy for us to be defined by one mistake that we make along the way. It's easy for us to be defined by that. I mean, it could be uh, defined by a business failure. It could be defined by uh, a decision you made along the way financially. It could be defined by a divorce or so forth. Here's the big idea for today's message. One mistake does not define you. God is bigger than all of your mistakes. I want you to hear that. One mistake does not define you. God is so much bigger than all of your mistakes. And over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you from a story from the Bible about a young man that made a colossal mistake 
that led him down to a path that he never dreamed that he would be on. This story is told in in the New Testament section of the Bible, the the Gospel of Luke. It's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. In this parable that Jesus is giving, um, we see a young man ask his father for his part of the inheritance. And then he moved away and he spent all of his money on wild living, on partying, and, and just having a good time and hanging out with the wrong people. Well, he eventually loses all of his money. What should have lasted him years, he burned through that money in a matter of months. Then there was a great famine in the land, and he had no money and no place to, uh, to live and, and no, um, no friends to hang out with. And nobody to blame. And the only job that he could find was feeding pigs. Now, things really got so bad that he lived in in desperation and hunger that he even uh, fed himself with the, the food that he was given the hogs. And so that's the backdrop. But today I wanna uh, go a little deeper and look at the details of this story. A lot of times it's in the details that we see ourselves. It's in the details that we understand our story. And so we look at Luke chapter 15 and begin reading with verse 11. Jesus is telling the story. Jesus continued, there was a man that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share Give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between his two sons. Now, let's just pause for a moment right there. Jesus is speaking to a a Jewish audience. And when they heard him start this story up with these details, they leaned in. They could not believe what they were hearing. For a young son to say that, to give me uh, my part of the estate, was actually like saying, Father, I wish that you were dead. And so what we see is this, this young man, he wanted the father's resources, he wanted the father's money, but he simply didn't want a relationship with his father. He wanted freedom. He wanted the opportunity to do whatever he wanted to do, to go wherever he wanted to go, and and specifically to get out of this place that he was living in. Now, when the dad heard him say this, he knew at that moment that even though his son was still living in the house, that his son had already wandered away from the family. He's already wandered away from him. And I believe that as any dad would do, That dad tried to reason with him, tried to convince him um, the benefits, tried to convince him to say, but in the end, he said, no, I want out of here. And so the father does what he asks. He gives him his portion of the estate. Now, let me say this. That was something very difficult to do in those days because it's not like you had your money in the bank. It's not like you could call your stockbroker up and and sell some stocks and give him money. I mean, his uh, assets were um, in animals and in property. And any time that you have to liquidate 
your property in a hurry, you're not going to get market value. So think about this. He is selling his animals and selling his property at a loss or a lower than market value just to satisfy the request of this young man. And so he takes this money and he hits the road. The Bible says that he went to a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. I mean, I can imagine that he's partying day and night, women on both arms and doing and having a great time living life in the fast lane. But then his money ran out. But not only did his money run out, but there was a recession that hit the land. And so he found himself unemployed. We pick up the story in verse 14. After he had spent everything, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself. He hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed, he longed for his, uh, to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, this guy, this young man ended up broke, homeless, and starving, and he's feeding pigs. Now, you've got to pause just for a moment. I mean, that's a tough job for any of us. But to think about it from his perspective, he is a Jewish young man. He's kosher. He doesn't eat bacon. He's not having ribs this afternoon, okay? He is not having pork chops because they look at pork as an unclean meat. And so to be working in that industry is really the lowest of the low. But it's in this moment of misery that this young man came to his senses. He woke up. You know, how many of you have ever noticed that when you get to the very bottom and you're in a place of great pain, that you're a lot more open to receive from your heavenly father? I'll tell you, there's something about pain that drives me to my knees. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That you've been in this painful moment, this painful season. Maybe you've been uh, dealing with this painful situation. Maybe it's something physically. Maybe it's something in your family. But you just feel this. And there's a drawing to you. In fact, you may be here in our Grovetown campus, in our our, uh, South campus. You may be at the Dream Center Experience. And you're there because you sense this pain on the inside and you're longing for help. Well, that's how this young man felt. He was longing for help and and pain just drove him to that place. That's what happened to John Spears. John is a part of our South Campus. Listen to his story. My name is John Spears and this is my story. I grew up in a family that knew about God, but chose to live a different life. The only time that I ever went to church was uh, when the church bus was provided for us, and my parents just basically used this as a free childcare service. I was raised in a really toxic environment and suffered a great deal of physical, emotional, and verbal abuse from pretty much as long as I can remember. My family 
heritage really consisted of a lot of alcoholics, drug addiction, and convicts. And due to the rising issues at my home life with my parents, I moved in with my grandparents. But unfortunately, the conditions there were not any better, and I suffered a great deal of verbal abuse. My sophomore year in high school, I was suspended multiple times for multiple different things. And my grandparents, tired of my behavior and altercations with my parents, kicked me out. I knew the conditions with my parents uh, were way worse than where I was at, so I just decided to live out of my car at a truck stop for a few weeks until a friend let me move in with their family. Again, due to my behavior and my anger, I was eventually kicked out of that home as well. I was faced with two decisions, return home with my family and finish school or drop out and be homeless again. This was kind of my rock bottom. I felt defeated, angry, lonely, depressed, lost, hopeless, and a few times I contemplated suicide. I had to make a change with this. I had to break the cycle of my family's past or else I would end up in prison or ultimately dead. Well, a girl that I was dating at the time was really involved in their church, and her and her mom actually invited me to attend with them. And the youth pastor there helped me understand Jesus and his love for me. I remember him just sitting there and leading me in prayer as I asked Jesus to be my savior. Once I accepted Christ, I started understanding his love for me. Fast forward to today, I have three amazing children, and I strive for my best to provide the best life for them. I always want my children to know the love of God the love of a family, and to never have to experience the things that I went through as a child. I know there are a lot of people right now that feel hopeless, hurt, alone, angry. Just remember that God is always there for you. Even on your darkest day, He loves you more than you can imagine, and He has a better plan. I like the story in Nehemiah with the fallen walls of Jerusalem. After finding out that the walls of his heritage had been burned and destroyed, he knew that without those walls of that city, his people would not exist. The walls of my heritage have been burned. They've been burned with the sins of addiction, burned with the sins of depression, anxiety, anger. These feelings left me feeling vulnerable and lost. I felt like I never had security and I was always searching for something. I heard God tell me to build back my family's walls. Build a walls that my kids will feel secured in. Walls that would be stronger than any storm, any depression, any addiction that has plagued my past. Walls that at any time give safe harbor to the next generation. God called me to build generational wealth by raising my family on the word of God. That's what God has done for me. John made a decision to give his life over to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that one decision made all the difference in the world. I believe that every one of us today can get closer to God by doing three things. And we talk about this often, but today I want to go one step further and make this very personal so yeah, this is something that we are going to do, that I am going to do. There's three things, okay? You want to get closer to God, three things. First of all is this. I must get so frustrated with my life that I am willing to change. I'm, I get, must get so frustrated with my life that I'm willing to change. This is what I would call it, that I get fed up, okay? You come to the place where you say, 
I am so frustrated, I am so fed up with the way things are that I am not going to continue to live this way. I need something to change. Nothing's going to happen different in your life until you get to this point. Until you get to the place where you say, look, my life is unmanageable, my life is out of control, I need a power that is greater than myself, I I need help. And so you come to the place that you get so frustrated that you are willing to change. Back to the story, verse 17, when this young man um, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, have you ever had uh, to do have a an important conversation. And you start thinking about that conversation long before you actually have that conversation. In fact, you have that conversation in your mind over and over and over again. You rehearse that conversation. Sometimes I've actually rehearsed the conversation. There have been a couple of times that I've actually written it down because I wanted to communicate those important issues And I wanted to do it clearly so I would write it out so that I could say that. I would imagine this young man was already rehearsing his conversation. He's already thinking about that. He's already thinking about, oh, Dad, I am so sorry for what I have done. At this point, you wonder, why did it take him so long to get home? I mean, why did he stay away in that distant country? Why wouldn't he come home? John Ortberg explains it this way. He says, when a Jewish boy squandered his inheritance among the Gentiles, and then when that child comes home, he not only has to face his family, but he has to face the community at large. You've got to understand this, just a little um, geography about this. They, these people lived in cluster homes. They worked out in the fields, and so their, their uh, work would be out in the country, let's say. But they lived in groups, you know, maybe like an apartment complex, maybe like garden homes that we would have. Uh, I envisioned going into a cul-de-sac and seeing houses around. And so when that young man came home, it's not like he could slip in the back door unannounced. But everybody around... The community would know that that boy had come home. Now, as a symbol of how destructive his, uh, that he had been to the community and to his family, and how he had broken relationships, he had broken trust with his father, the, the whole community would gather together. And when he would come home, or a boy like this would come home, they would take clay pots. Let's say a clay pot like this. They would take a clay pot. They would see this child. They're gathered together. And when he walked forward, they would take these clay pots. They would throw them down and they would break into scores of pieces all over the ground. 
And this represents the brokenness that he had caused the community and the brokenness that he had caused the family. They would say, and they would hold up pieces of those clay pots, and it says, you have broken everything that is good. You have broken trust. You have damaged um, this community beyond repair. And they would heap guilt, and they would heap shame on him for the decisions that he has made. And so let this be a symbol of brokenness. This became a ceremony to the point where they actually had a name for this ceremony. And they called it the ceremony of the Kazaa, where they would explain and they would demonstrate how broken the community has been over his actions. Well, the boy knew that that was the custom. And probably that's what kept him back, uh, kept him in a distant land even longer. Because he didn't want the guilt and he didn't want the shame of the community. But there came a point where he was so desperate, he was so in need that he said, I've got to get out of here. I need help. I cannot do this on my own. And then we pick it up the next verse, verse 20. He said, so he got up and he went to his father. He was broken and he went home. He was broken, and he came home. He was broken. Some of you have walked in to this church today. Some of you are watching online today, and you feel like you have been broken on the inside. And you feel like that, that your heart is in a hundred different pieces Last week, I talked about that when we created this church, we wanted to create a place where the lost can be found and the broken can be healed. That's why we're here. And so, so for those of you that walked in here with broken, and maybe it's a broken relationship, maybe it's a uh, broken finances, oh, the list could go on, on and on and on. I want you to come to the place where you stop blaming everybody and that you take responsibility for your life. And that leads me to the second point, and that's this. I must get honest. I must get honest and I must own up to my mistakes. I've got to get honest. I must own up to my mistakes. I said, first of all, you get fed up, then you own up. You come to the place where you're willing to admit it. You're not running from it. You're not trying to hide from it. But you just get honest and say, look, this is what I have done. I have made mistakes. You own that. Nothing is going to happen until you get to this stage. Nothing is going to happen until you come to the place where you're willing to admit your failures, that you're willing to admit your, um, your mistakes, that you're willing to admit your sins. And when you get to that place that you're willing to admit your sins and you own up, that's when you'll see things start to change. But not only should you own up, you've got to surrender. That's the third one. I must surrender, and I've, 
must offer my life back to God. I'm a surrender. God, I surrender you. I give it over to you. And I'm giving you my life. I offer my life back to you. Let's go back to the story. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. His father was filled with compassion and his father ran. His father ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now notice this, the father ran. Now Luke, if you're going to study this from the original language, which would be uh, Greek and Aramaic in those days, if you were to look at Luke's writing, you would see that Luke uses a technical turn for running. It was not just like he was on a stroll, but it was an, actually a term that we would use for an athletic contest, that literally the father sprinted, the spotter, father raced to get to his son. Now, in the Middle East, for the patriarch of the family, um, he was a man of great dignity. He was a man of great authority. And knowing that he was a man of dignity and a man of authority, you would know that he would wear a robe. And you can just imagine, it's hard to run in a robe. And so if this man were going to run to the sun, that means that he would literally reach down and pick up his robe and he would run. Now, when he picked up his robe, then he would do something that no dignified man would ever do, and that would be show his bare legs, to show his naked legs. Now, a young boy may pick up his, uh, his robe and run, but not a man of this stature. But this father didn't care about the, his own dignity. He saw his lost son, and he ran after. Why do you think he did that? Because he cannot stop thinking about that broken boy. And he thinks if the village people get there first, if the community gets there first, they're going to put guilt, and they're going to put shame, and they're going to put brokenness on him. I need to get there first to protect him. I need to get there first to guard him. And so he picks up his robe and he starts running. But he runs because he never stopped loving that boy. He never stopped loving him. Even though he had taken um, a portion of the family's estate, even though he had squandered it and wasted it, he never stopped loving him. And so what we see in this story is that this is not just the story of the prodigal son. This is not just the story of the resentful brother. But this, my friends, is the story of the father who runs. So let's get personal. The moment that you're willing to come clean, the moment that you're willing to admit that you've made mistakes, to admit that you've sinned, that's the moment that God runs to you. That's the moment the Father runs. 
The minute that you're saying, God, I need help with this addiction. God, I need help with this temptation. I need help with this anger. I need help. The minute you're willing to say that, the minute you're willing to take that step, that's when God's going to run to you. And it's interesting that when you go through the Bible stories, this is the only time that you ever see God running. God doesn't run to heal the lepers. God doesn't run to teach in the temple. God doesn't run to meet with religious people or religious leaders. Instead, he runs to someone who's not perfect, to someone who's made mistakes. And folks, we've all made choices that we're not proud of. We've all made mistakes. And you know what? God knew that you'd make them. God knew that you would blow it. God knew that you would make mistakes. God knew that you would sin. God knew that you would be like the Rams or the Bengals, that you'd lose some games along the way. He knew that. And so that's why he developed a plan. He developed a plan because only perfect people are allowed into heaven. And we're clearly saying none of us are perfect. So God's son, Jesus, who is perfect took on the robes of flesh, and he came down and dwelt among us, lived among us. That's the story of Christmas. And he lived as a perfect example. And then he gave himself to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. That's the story of Easter. This is a Christmas and Easter church. We believe in Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, he opened the door for us to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And so now, once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God doesn't see your sin anymore. But when he looks at your account, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the the penalty has already been paid. The price has already been paid for you. And all you have to do is take that step to admit it, to admit that you need help, to admit that you need to be forgiven, to admit that you need a Savior. And when you come to that place and you admit it, God comes running. God comes running. The running father runs and he gets to this boy. He gets to his son. And right when he gets there, his son starts his I'm sorry speech. Dad, I'm so sorry. I promise you I will pay back every dime that I owe you. He said, son, just be quiet. He looked over and said, somebody bring the ring. Somebody bring a robe. Somebody bring some shoes. Somebody kill the the fatted calf. We're here to celebrate for my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. So now it's time to celebrate. Hallelujah.
maybe you've made mistakes. You've done things you're not proud of. You've sinned. You've made bad choices. Let me say, it doesn't matter what you have done, but you can come home today. Hear me in our South Campus. It doesn't matter what you've done, but you can come home. I want to say that to our Dream Center experience. It doesn't matter what you've done, but you can come home. I'm not going to leave out Grovetown. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can come home. You can come home. He is here to welcome Over the next few minutes, I just want you to think about that. I want you to think about a father who loves you so much. And he just simply wants you to come back home. And I don't know what that thing is that drove you to the place where you are right now. But it doesn't matter. You don't need to come forward at the end of the service and give me your whole list of the reasons. I just want you to come to the place where it said, I admit it, I admit it. I have sinned and I need a Savior. And if you can come to that place, I'm telling you, you will not leave here the same as when you came in. But you will leave here free. You will leave here Forgiven, Your slate will be washed away, washed clean, and you will be made new. I am not talking about turning over a new leaf. I am talking to you about receiving a new life, where the life of Jesus is going to be in you. Well, it's time to pray. And as we prepare for prayer, I just want you to bow your heads here in this auditorium in Grovetown, South Augusta. And I just want you to think about what you've heard. Just think about it, just for a moment. Think about the mistakes you've made. Think about the things that you've done. And today's the day you're going to own up. And today's the day you're going to say, I need help. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. If that is you and I'm talking to you and you'd like to be forgiven, you'd like to be saved, I want you to slip, slip up your hand real quickly. Let me see it across this room, across Grovetown, across South Augusta. Let me, yes, hands all over, all over this place. You can put them down now. I want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, I'm also going to lead you. You're going to get involved in this and we're going to pray together, okay? Father, I thank you so very much for the people who are courageous enough to admit, just like I've admitted, that I need help. I need to be forgiven. Now, Father, in this moment, I ask that your presence would be so strong that we would sense it. And God, as we offer these words up, that your hand would touch us and our lives would be changed. Now, if that's you, we want to pray, just say this. Say, Jesus, say that. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Say that. Say, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. Say that. Forgive me of my sins. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, 
make me, say that, make me into the person that you want me to be. Say this, say, God, I give you my life. I give you my past. Say this, say, I trust you with the days ahead. I trust you with my future. Fill me with your presence. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now, Father, I pray not only for this group, but I pray for those that are rededicating their lives today. I pray for those, God, that have come into this church service and they feel burdened, they feel covered in guilt and shame. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would lift the burden, that you would, uh, that you would move the guilt and shame out, and that you would restore us to where we need to be. Father, I also pray, God, for those individuals that are struggling with sickness and disease. Or they have a loved one. I want you to, at this time, start to call um, that name of your loved one, that friend of yours that are suffering. I want you to call their name out. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our friend. We pray for our parents. We pray for that brother or sister. We ask that you would have mercy and we speak life healing and health over them. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.